Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, and by the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thanks, Hannah, for reading that for us. If you've got a Bible or a device, it might help to keep uh, Psalm 1 open as we read through this together. Evening, everyone. Thank you. Lovely. It's nice to be seen, isn't it? It's nice to see you. Uh, We're carrying on our series in the Psalms this evening, uh, and Dan started us off last week thinking about why we sing, thinking about giving God glory. And so if you haven't listened to that, if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to follow along on the podcast or on YouTube and catch up each week. And then if you're reading through the Psalms during this time as well, uh, you'll have things to kind of chew on and think over as we go through together. And we're picking up on different themes that come through the Psalms and how that lives, how that helps us to live in discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus in our lives. And as we heard about last week, Psalms, the book of Psalms, is really the soundtrack of God's people and their relationship with God, with Yahweh. And when we read the Psalms, it shows us how honest we can be with God, and sometimes that surprises us. It shows us how the Psalms understands and encompasses every human experience and emotion brought before and to Yahweh in prayer, in praise, in questions. Uh, And uh, we're going to be thinking about this first psalm today, and the first psalm kind of introduces the book as well, which is really helpful. Um, Tim Mackey, off of Bible Project, uh, that we like as well. There's a good video on Psalm 1 if you want to watch that later. Uh, He says, the Psalms are the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to the Torah, to God's instruction, and waiting for the messianic kingdom, the anointed one to come who will bring the kingdom of God. And even though we live uh, after Jesus and his death and resurrection, we're in that now and that not yet waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom to come, and the Psalms help us in that waiting. And in all of this, as we thought about last week, God is the one worthy of glory, that word doxa that we learned last week, as he is the high and exalted God who came down low to meet us where we were, most profoundly in the person of Jesus. 
And Jesus, as he grew up in his earthly life, would have been raised on the Psalms. He quoted them in his life. He quoted them at his death. He had them as a framework of his relationship with his heavenly Father. One author says, the words of the Psalms saturated the mind, heart, and life of Jesus. So shouldn't we seek to have them do the same for us? And so today we're starting off uh, Psalm 1, uh, framing that in glorifying God and giving God all the glory that we heard last week. And so today we're thinking about wisdom Uh, which is a theme in the first psalm. Now, in Proverbs 4, verse 7, uh, there's this great verse that me and Dan were talking about the other week, um, which talks about gaining wisdom from God. And it says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Are you ready? Get wisdom. I'm like, thank you. Thank you, of course, that's really, really helpful. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Get it. Um, And so we were just like, how, please? Please tell us more, which luckily the Bible does. Uh, And we, we see in Scripture that to live wisely is to be fruitful, to be kind of adept at the art of living well in relationship with God, with creation, and with others. And this is not just a passive thing or a sort of innate quality that some people have and some people don't, even though it can look like that from the outside. Wisdom requires decisions, choices, habits, practices, attitudes that then shape and form us towards the life that Jesus offers. Life in all its fullness, as he says. And these choices are both choices to not do some things and to intentionally do others or walk in a different direction. Now this fullness of life, this wise living, is not necessarily the most comfortable way to live. It's not the easiest life we could have. Although living wisely does encompass dealing with some of our anxiety, some of our self-ishness, and it involves growing in contentment with the life that Jesus calls us to. And in Proverbs, as well as saying, get wisdom, it then says the beginning of wisdom, the start of that journey, is identified as beginning with the fear of the Lord. We've talked about that before in this congregation. And that's not a fear... uh, sort of cowering from an angry God. That's a fear in the sense of a right, a fitting response to the creator God and the response to his ways and his love. And as we look at Psalm 1, this explores this from the human side. What does a person who fears the Lord look like? What do they enjoy? How are they identifiable? And then alternatively, how does someone who does not fear the Lord live? What are the consequences of their life? And Psalm 1, I found this really helpful, is described uh, in a commentary that I was looking at as a beatitude. And we, you might know the beatitudes if you know, you know the beatitudes of Jesus, blessed is the, um, in his teaching. So it's not a prayer or a hymn, but a statement about human existence. 
Uh, one commentator said, here at the threshold of the book of the Psalms, we are asked to consider the teaching that the way life is lived is decisive for how it turns out. Psalm 1 is also an introduction to the whole book. It invites us to read and use the whole book as a guide to the blessed life. Now, this isn't a purely kind of simplistic, um, lowest common denominator, cause and effect kind of thing, but it does suggest that we have some agency, we have some choice and decision in working with, partnering with God and the Holy Spirit that leads uh, to a blessed life with him. And Psalm 1 begins to identify the how of get wisdom. And the author contrasts the wise with the foolish using some more kind of farming language, language of nature and creation, as well as kind of postures and daily activities to help our imagination. There are several other wisdom psalms and these beatitude-type writings in the psalms where you see blessed is the... And they encourage us to both obedience to God and trust in God and his goodness. And we see that particularly in Psalm 119. That's one of the other wisdom psalms I could have chosen uh, for this sermon. But that would have taken considerably longer to read. It's one of the longer psalms. But I encourage you to read that. It says, oh, how I love your law, your instruction. It's my meditation all day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So as we think about this, we uh, look to the first verse, this contrast in um, this psalm. And we read in verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So that opening, blessed is the one, that word blessed... Again, I kind of tell people this when we preach. I don't just sort of know this information just because. I just went and looked it up and sort of read a little bit about the word so we can all do that if we want to. Um, one, this word blessed is one of two Hebrew words. There's one Hebrew word, Baruch, which describes a person who is experiencing God's favor and abundance in their life. But this word blessed is a different word, Ashrei, this word refers to what people say about a person who is Baruch, okay? So it's a way to describe how desirable and good it is when someone experiences God's blessing. So it could be translated like, oh, the good life of the person who does not do X, Y, and Z. And initially, the, this good life, this blessed life, is seen from making three different choices not to do something. Often we think about the things that we should do. Some of us live in a should world. I have to kind of shed the should sometimes. And, you know, I, oh. and then other things that we are invited to in God that are good things. But this is choices not to. And as we heard, they are walk in, stand and sit. And I have two lovely volunteers that are going to help me in this part of my talk. So Smarak and Emmy. I don't have to talk. Yeah, thank you. Fine. So... They're just going to start here, and as I explain the three different postures, all they're going to do is, is do, do that. So it's not very complicated, but it just helps those who are visual. So um, first of all, you're going to walk. You just have a nice just walk, weaving in just around the church for a little bit, and you can chat to each other. 
as you do that, sort of quietly. That'd be great. So first of all, as they walk, um, the, the wise person, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. So this walking is this kind of movement, this active walking. And in other translations, it says, follow the advice of or walk in the rut. So it's walking along, and um, direction and movement is, you know, that imagery is important in the Bible. You can walk, you know, towards God and his way, or you can walk another way. And in Jesus, we find the narrow way, particular way of walking in life. And it says, do not walk uh, in step with. Now, some of you will know that in the New Testament, we're invited to walk in step with the Spirit. But this is a choice to not walk in step with the wicked, and that means those who are kind of morally upside down, who call what's good evil and evil good, and take you away from God. But there's still movement at the moment. So there's still movement to walk this way, but then they could start walking in the way of the Lord. But the next one is not to stand. All you have to do now, guys, is stand. Isn't it delightful, this thing? So then, blessed is the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. So now they've stopped. Now they're just sort of lingering they're just, you know, and it says another translation, stand around with, take the path of sinners. And uh, sinners and sin in this sense is the idea of missing the target, that is missing the target of loving God and loving neighbor, loving people. Uh, and so they're standing, they're lingering now with those who are missing the mark, who are not loving God, not loving people, and that's having an impact on how they're living but you can stand and you could always start walking in the way of the Lord. There's, you know, there's an opportunity for movement. But then they might just have a nice, they might have a nice sit down. You know this. After, you know, it's been warm, we want to sit down. And so then, blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. That is, uh, those who are cynical and jaded. Not mockers like Rich just said to me. Mockers like cappuccinos with chocolate in. Not that mockers, that's a different mocker. Um, unless you don't like coffee, in which case you should not sit in the company of mockers. Um, but this is those who are jaded, who can't appreciate goodness and beauty. I don't know if you might know those kind of people or those kinds of situations that take you out of the beauty, the grace, the truth of who God is, and just get you maybe, you know, in the... In the um, in the Genesis accounts when the serpent says, did God really say? It's the kind of thing where you're in a situation where God's truth, God's beauty, the good news of Jade, uh, Jesus, kind of is jade. is like, maybe that's not really for me. Maybe that's not really true. And to sit and to dwell in it and let that become your reality. Thank you so much, guys. Very, you know, that's all we had to do. So we read here, blessed is the one, wise is the one who will become blessed, who does not do those things, who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And the thing about these postures is that um, they're subtle. You might not notice them. So in some of my spare time, um, I do improv. I improvise silly things. So if you've seen Whose Line Is It Anyway, or if you've seen Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix, very worth a watch. I do that kind of thing occasionally. Um, so we have a suggestion and we make up scenes and things. It's very fun. There is an improv game called Stand, Sit, Lie, 
where three players will be on the stage. We have a suggestion from an audience member and we improvise a scene. During that scene, one player has to be standing, one player has to be sitting, and one player has to be lying, and we need to justify all of that in the scene. You know, hilarity ensues. Um, so sometimes it's as dead as that, so you know, that's fine. And um, so when, but when we play that game, we are very, very aware of who in the scene is standing, who is sitting, who is lying. If someone moves, we need to adjust that. We're very, very aware of our posture. In this psalm, I think the author is suggesting the opposite point, how these postures can become subtle and inhabited without us even knowing, so that we go from movement to becoming stuck, to becoming stuck in a place that we haven't even noticed, but we're now in the company of mockers, in this cynical, jaded place. And this is how we see that our choices shape us over time. And uh, who we spend time with shapes us. Now, this isn't a kind of you shouldn't spend time with these people, you should spend time with these people type of thing. It's much wider than just people. But the people we hang around with, the things we talk about, the things we dwell on shapes us. What we spend time watching and consuming watching with our eyes, listening to, what we allow to teach us and form us, shapes us. Um, I always think of the films or the TV shows uh, that are set in kind of high schools. They're normally like 30-year-olds playing kind of, you know, teenagers. But there's always, you go into like the high school cafeteria or diner, dining room, and there's the cliques of the people, and you know who they are by who they are standing with, where they sit, all of that kind of thing. So today, where are you walking? What way are you walking in? Or where are you standing? And where are you sitting? Where are the places and the spaces and the things that you are taking in that might be challenged by the Holy Spirit this evening is taking you into the company or the atmosphere or the place that leads you away from Jesus. I think this is a, a, a challenging word sometimes and, um, and we need to reflect ourselves and sometimes we need to reflect in community and be accountable to others so that we can highlight that for others in love. Now just to say, we're often encouraged to not compare ourselves to other people and to not judge others, and that is good and right. And so what the psalmist is saying here, I think, is actually similar to what Jesus takes on in Matthew 7 when he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Why do you look at this tiny thing and judge someone else and ignore the plank sticking out of your own eye? It's very visual. I didn't bring a plank. I apologize. Um, it says, let me take the speck out of your eye when actually there's a plank in our own eye, you hypocrite. So the psalm challenges us not to be hypocrites and say, oh, well, I blame this situation or I blame those people for the way that I'm walking at the moment. It's actually an invitation to reflect ourselves before God. 
So I'm going to give just a few moments of quiet and invite the Holy Spirit and say, where are you walking, standing, and sitting that might be distracting you from Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to move and then we'll go on to the next part. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us now? And Lord, as we continue to seek the narrow way, the way of Jesus, would you help us to uh, reflect and be open to your spirit who leads us into all truth and open to that community around us shaping us as well. Amen. So we read about what wise people, what the blessed life uh, don't do, and then now we read a positive, what they choose to do. And it's always good if we're trying to move away from a negative or something we shouldn't do to have an alternative. So in verse two, we see that blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Or the message version of this says, instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. And again, the Bible is poetic and metaphorical. It doesn't mean tearing out the pages of the Bible and chewing it, but it means reading and listening and uh, reflecting on it. So here, the, the commended action or conduct is a constant reflective meditation on the law of the Lord that grows out of delight for it and concern for it. And Torah or law here means instruction, the instruction in the way of the Lord rather than kind of legal rules and stipulations that we can be tempted to go, well, none of that matters anymore because of Jesus. But there's still this sense of the way that God instructs his people to live. So rather than think, well, we have grace, we don't need God's law anymore, there's more nuance here. Torah, the first five books of the Bible, outline God's teaching to his people, filled with how they will live as a, to be a blessing, that, that nation will be a blessing to the nations, will be a light to the world, will be a place governed by God's love and justice. And Jesus fulfills that teaching in his life, and he... Um, he has his own teaching that builds on that and transcends that and is summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he fleshes out what that looks like in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5 to 7 particularly that we often read and reflect on together. And we seek to live in obedience to God's teaching not to earn God's love, but out of response to the love that he has shown us in Jesus. And the psalmist here knows Torah or instruction in written form. And we now have the canon, the collection of scripture, Old and New Testaments, to delight in and to meditate on, to meet God in flesh to meet in the scriptures Jesus who fulfilled the law in his life and death and resurrection and when we think of this instruction and why would we delight in that why would we have to delight in reading all of this and meditating on it um, it's not to be delighted in because it's some sort of program or curriculum for kind of self-justification for ourselves working to get right with God, 
but it's because it shows us that God reaches us, he communicates with humanity, he has sought relationship with us, he shapes the human soul through it. So the instruction of God is an act of love from him, to be a God that is known by his people, that seeks to rule his people in love and justice and helps them to live his way. Just like in the Gospel of John, in John 20, we read, but these, the Gospel, all these stories about Jesus, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And there's this kind of symmetry in this verse that shows us what meditating is. Because it says, his delight, the, pers- the blessed person's delight is in the instruction of Yahweh. And on his instruction, he meditates day and night. So it's kind of shaped a bit like an infinity loop. His delight is in the instruction of Yahweh. And as he meditates on that instruction, he delights in it. And I, uh, when I was reading about this, this idea of meditating... Um, it's likened in scripture or used to kind of for like a pigeon cooing like in satisfaction I'm not going to do it <laughs> if someone else wants to you're very welcome to coo or a bear satisfied while chewing food so again I mean you can have a classic like mm, if you'd like for like chewing on something really satisfying and for us as humans it's uh, like quietly reciting or recalling the words of scripture in our minds or out loud to focus our attention so that these words and this story becomes part of us. Um, I saw a clip on um, Instagram this week of a pastor talking, giving a sermon, and uh, he said, it just said an interesting thing. He said he was comparing our attachment to um, our phones, or like just the world's, you know, attachment to our phones, um, with our Bibles. So, what pretty, much, you know, ninety-eight percent of people will have on their person at any given time a, th- a small thing about this size in a pocket, and we think that is totally normal to carry something of this size in our pocket, and it is very normal to. I'm not. I could open my like screen thing and see how many times I've checked my phone today. It's very normal to open it and to check lots of things on it hundreds of times a day. Uh, it's very normal to expect to receive, um, if not information like wisdom, to receive things to get to know about. And if we don't have this on our person, people, you know, you get like phantom buzzing and you get like, what's going on? I, don't, I can't cope with this. I don't know, if, you know how many of us have digital kind of detoxes. They're very good things to do. But this pastor was just comparing that to our Bibles. Now, my little Bible is a bit bigger than that, so it would be harder to fit in a jeans pocket. But I did find earlier uh, this little Gospel of John, and it's obviously meant to be carried because it says, please carry this in your pocket and read it every day. Cool, isn't it? And that is actually smaller than my phone. Um, And this pastor was saying, what would it look like if we had the same relationship with our phones um, than we did with the scriptures, or at least, you know, our physical Bible or a New Testament or something, um, that we would open it and refer to it um, hundreds of times a day, that we would talk about the latest post from it with other people, that we would send parts of it to friends 
to say, I think this speaks into your situation, that it will be the first thing that we open and check in the morning, um, and it would be uh, the, the thing that we help to us to reflect on each day. What would that be like? And that's not to kind of demonize phones, although there's plenty about phones and technology that is to be kind of wise about. And that's not just also about memorizing lots and lots of Bible verses, but it's about inhabiting this story of scripture, about this big story of God and the world that he loves and his rescue of it. And to help us to think Christianly about everything that we do and say and how we live in this world that God created and that he is redeeming. Because again, that requires choices and decisions about how we want to respond to God's love to us in Jesus. A couple of good resources for that that you can find summaries of online Uh, There's a book by Rick Warren, um, not The Purpose Driven Life, that's a big famous one he wrote, but he wrote a book called Bible Study Methods, and you can just find that online, but it's got some great accessible resources to be able to meditate, to spend time in scripture on your own or with others. And then to do that, to, to be someone who delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night, Sometimes you have to get really practical, that doesn't just happen, and develop um, habits. And I sent earlier the small group leaders of uh, this congregation some stuff. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff about habits, guys. The world, particularly in the West, are like, they think that like, habits are sort of the gospel. Like, if you crack habits, you will have a blessed life. And I want to say habits and practices is the way to meet with Jesus every day, who then helps us live the blessed life. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not kind of evangelizing you about habits, I'm evangelizing you about Jesus. <laughs> uh, but habits and practices, as the church has done for millennia, is the way to get there. Um, and, uh, and one guy, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, everyone, you know, all the kind of leaders and movers and shakers are like, Atomic Habits. Um, it's a good book. But he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So every kind of thing we do is a kind of vote for the person, and then cumulatively over time, we're shaped and formed. And I always think of, you know, in the supermarket, where there's the little um, boxes that you can put a token in for a charity, that if, you know, you kind of get a token from spending on your shop, and then you can choose who you're voting for to give money to that charity, and you kind of see tangibly these boxes fill up. So everything that we're doing, and just a couple of things to help with this, and particularly with scripture and meditating on it, there's these four things that you can uh, go and kind of read about later on, about habits. The first is make it obvious. If you want to build a habit to start to do something, you need to make it obvious. So for example, if I wanted to start running, which I actually don't, um, if I wanted to start running, it would be to have my trainers very visible either by my bed when I get up in the morning or by my shoes I'm going to change out of when I get home, make it very obvious and visible. Uh, Make it attractive, Um, so make it fun and attractive to do or to be involved in, and that can sometimes be like a reward as well at the end of it. Uh, Make it easy, again, make Uh, take away all the barriers to doing that thing that will be good for you at all. So particularly with scripture, um, you know, it's 
I mean, I'm, I like a physical Bible, guys. I'm going to keep banging on about it. Because you could all say, well, I've got my Bible on my phone. Now, the amount of times in a week that I get my phone out, because I remember that I need to put something in the diary, or I need to check something, and I put my phone away 15 minutes later, and then I get my phone out again because I didn't do the thing. <laughs> so I've got my phone out, so I'm like, cool, yeah. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, what, what did I do? It's like walking into a room and forgetting why I did it. I do that all the time on my phone. But if you have a Bible um, that's only got the Bible in it, that's quite helpful for reading the Bible. Um, so have you know, a Bible by your bed, open at what you want to read, maybe the psalm, and t- turn the page to the next psalm every morning so that it's the first thing uh, you see. Um, make it easy for yourself and make it easy for one another um, to help one another. And make it uh, satisfying. Again, for me in the morning, I drink Earl Grey tea. We all know this. Lots of us know this. Um, and that is, you know, if I sit... Um, rather than sit in the company of the jaded and cynical, I sit in the company of scripture and a cup of Earl Grey. That's a very satisfying experience for me. Um, and all of this comes from um, identity. It's important to remember that, that we don't do this to strive towards God's love, but we do this out of being loved. And just, um, and on that actually, with uh, what Dan shared last week, giving God the glory, having a practice or a habit of praising God actually helps us uh, become these wise people because it takes our minds and our attention off of ourselves and all the stuff that we've got going on and puts it back into perspective. So let's be people who delight and meditate on God's instruction, on God's teaching on the person of Christ in scripture. And this wisdom, just as we've been talking about singing last week, just to kind of mention really as well as a follow-on, we thought about why we sing last week. But as we read Psalm 1, we see the importance of delighting in and meditating on God's truth, on God's word, and that impacts what we sing both on Sundays and then hopefully what you sing during the week, because worship songs are not just for Sundays, guys. They're for all year round, every day. And Dan and I and others, uh, when we're thinking about new songs to, think, uh, to sing, not to sing, to sing, uh, we'll think about, do they help us sing the truth of who God is? Do they put our attention and our affection back onto Jesus? Do they put the name of Jesus onto our lips to praise? And if there's ever parts of worship songs that we're singing, they all like, I don't get this. I don't understand why we're singing that. That's a weird turn of phrase. Then I encourage you to ask about it in your small groups or ask Dan or like find out why we're singing what we're singing. My favorite one, this is a hymn. So we sing this kind of a couple of times. It's like a massive banger in church. I don't know if you know. Crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. Potentate, that's exciting, isn't it? That's a great word. All it means is ruler or monarch, you know the ruler of all time. And then you can just sing potentate with pride when you know what it means. Uh, But we sing lots of things that are poetic, that have kind of metaphor elements to them, that are not in and of themselves the whole truth of the gospel. So I'm going to just run through this really quickly. Um, When we sing, all I need is you, God. Now that both is true in the story of salvation, uh, in the fact that God has come in Jesus, but also we know that God has created us for community, for relationship with him and for other people. 
And so if we're singing that and going, all I need is you, I don't need friends, I don't need accountability, um, I don't need any love or support from other humans, we, we go down one way. If we sing it in the grand picture of scripture, we'll sing it more wisely. Another one, um, I won't be formed by feelings, I'll hold fast to what is true. Now, what, what those authors of that worship song are trying to put across is, I won't be formed by my feelings and my decisions and my take on ruling the world. I want to be formed by how God shapes me. But what we can end up doing is singing, I won't be formed by feelings, and we deny that feelings and emotions have any real say in how we live. And we know, you know, in God's world that he created and in psychology and all sorts, we're hugely formed by feelings, but we need to direct our feelings and our emotions towards God, uh, and so our attention, our affection is on him. Um, and then the final one, Jaira, you are enough, you know, you are enough. Um, I will be content in every circumstance. Now that is uh, one of those ones that we sing, and you might be there having had a rubbish day and thinking, I am not content. My circumstances are rubbish. Um, and those are the ones that we sing, a bit like the psalmist says, uh, do not be downcast, I will yet hope in the Lord. They're aspirational and they are intentional and they're singing about what God is able to do. So let's be singing wisely as well. If there's anything that we're singing that you're like, I don't get this or I disagree with this, then they're really good reflections to have. So we see this contrast between the wise and those who do, don't do some things and do do other things. And we see that contrast in the sense that those people are like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. They're firmly planted, they're secure in Jesus, they're provided for, they're fruitful, they're sustained throughout the seasons. They have a destiny and a purpose and they bring life to others around it. And that's contrasted with the chaff, the empty husks of wheat of the wicked, those who don't follow Yahweh, those who uh, decide what good and evil is, uh, those who are cynical and jaded about the world. And it says they're blown away in the wind, they're temporary, they're unfruitful, they're disconnected. And so I hope that we want to be those who are like those trees, firmly secured in who God has made us to be. And at the end, the, the meditator decides to not stand in the path of sinners, and it's contrasted with the wicked who are unable to stand when God finally brings justice. And we're back to where we began, choosing between these two ways of being human, these two paths. So as we think about that Psalm 1, where are you walking, standing, and sitting? Where's that gentle challenge from the Holy Spirit? And what are you delighting and meditating on? Is it who Christ is through scriptures and through worship? How can we help each other to be those people? And where can we invite the Holy Spirit to help us be like that tree, firmly planted and fruitful in who God has made us to be, with our attention on God and on others rather than ourselves? 
thank you for listening to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.